This morning, if you would, take your copy of Scripture and turn to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Now, some of you may not have turned to Chronicles in quite a long time. Uh, but it is a book of the Bible, and it is a book that we must read. Uh, some books are a little more difficult to read than others. First Chronicles, you will find very quickly in the first opening chapters, will be a book that is uh, quite difficult to sort of come to. It has nine chapters of genealogy at the beginning. Nine, I, and you know what a genealogy is, right? Especially in the Bible. So-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so, and so on and so forth. And a bunch of names that you can't even pronounce. You have to just kind of do it in your head, and you get it confused. And if you stop, it'll take you two hours to read through there if you try to figure out all what the names mean. Uh, and so it begins uh, a little slow for us, but there are some really powerful things that happen in First Chronicles. Have you ever been reading the Scripture and there's all of a sudden a nugget in there just for you? I don't mean a chicken nugget. I mean a gold nugget. I mean something that you can take and is a jewel for you. I mean something that just really sticks with you. Maybe you've read it before, but when you read it this time, there was something different that happened. That's the beauty of the Bible. And sometimes God drops these nuggets in Scripture uh, off to us. And this is one for me. And I'll share with you what it is, particularly in just a moment. What we want to do is actually start reading here uh, with verse 14. It's The story's ongoing. This is narrative, so we're having to kind of just dive right into the middle of it. Uh, I, I will give some context, but we're just going to start with 14 here. Notice these words. First Chronicles 21, and now 14. So the Lord sent a pestilence, a plague, on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and he relented from the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working destruction, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David lifted his eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, and in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. Then pick up with me in verse 20. Drop down a few verses there. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. He turned and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and paid homage to David with with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Ornan said to David, Take it, and let my lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for burnt offerings, and the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for a grain offering. I give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. And David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven 
upon the altar of burnt offerings. Then the Lord God commanded the angel, and he put back the sword in its sheath. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Would You illuminate our minds, our faith, the eyes of faith today by the Spirit of illumination, we pray in Your name. Amen. I personally am not an impulse buyer. In other words, I don't all of a sudden, you're not going to see me with something, you know, brand new or whatever, and, and, all, and I haven't thought about this, you know. Like I just went out one day and all of a sudden some, some advertisement just wooed me into buying something, you know, that I really wasn't planning on doing. I'm not really an impulse. It, it takes a lot to get me to buy something. And all of a sudden, if you see me haul off and, you know, buy something, you know it's been on my radar for quite some time. And this has been the case even this past weekend. I bought some trees and some plants and whatnot, or a tree and some plants. And it was a magnolia tree, which really has meaning for me because I'm from Mississippi and I love the magnolia tree anyway. It's an evergreen, which is what I was looking for. And, and you know, those things can be fairly costly. And I got a really good deal on it. But nonetheless, this thing had been on my radar for over three years and I hadn't bought it. Again, I'm just not an impulse buyer. I just don't, that, that's not me. And yet, it was been on my radar, and when I found it, $30 for a 12-foot magnolia. I mean, just imagine that. You had to talk to me later about where I got it, right? Um, everybody's like, man, where's this guy getting this stuff? He stole it. You know, No, I didn't steal it, uh, and, and I didn't trick them. I uh, actually paid what they wanted for it. But, you know, here's the point of this. Things don't just happen without preparation. They don't. Even things that seemingly look like they're just happening, someone is preparing. When you come into the worship service today, there were things that were prepared for you. There's people that are doing things, praying. And you know, speaking of prayer, just a little aside, have you ever noticed how powerful God moves in things like youth camps, retreats, kairoses, Emmaus walks? I've come to this conclusion, here's why. Preparation. Not just physical preparation. Prayer preparation. I wonder one Sunday if we prayed for this service like we pray for those things, what would happen? Amen. Uh, so, nonetheless, here's the thing. We need to put some things on our radar that we need to buy into as Christians. In other words, we don't need to just be impulse buyers as Christians, buying up whatever the world is giving to us. Because trust me, there's plenty of gimmicks to buy into out there. There's plenty of things that are, that are promising to make us happy, promising to fulfill our life, and they will not. There is, however, uh, a few things that I want to drop on your radar this morning as your Doppler's going around, and I want to, to make us aware of. <clears throat> Notice... Real quick, what's happening here is David is older at this point, and yet he makes a critical mistake. If you'll notice in 21, and you do well to read just the whole context, as we don't have time to do it here, but the context is essentially this. David he does a census for his people. They say, what's the big deal with that? I mean, we do a census here, whatever, 
five or ten years or something in, in the United States to see how many people are aware and all that kind of stuff, keep up with all that. Well, David is doing it because he wants to know how many fighting men he has. He wants to sort of, uh, as, as the old song does, don't count your money when you're sitting at the table. He's counting his money while he's sitting at the table. He's sitting over there flipping through all of what he now owns as king. And God says, hey, big guy, I'm the king. You don't need to worry about what all we've got here. You just need to keep playing the hand that I've dealt you and not worry with counting up everything. And so he counts, he does it anyway. He counts the people and God sends a plague. And you can read it, it's a, it's a very fascinating, it's also found in, in 2 Samuel, at the very end of 2 Samuel. Now it's recounted by the chronicler in his own way. And Ornan, who is, you remember him mentioned here, is actually Aruna in, in 2 Samuel. It's the same guy, it's the same vineyard. But here's what happened to me a few years back. I was reading along in, in 1 Chronicles, and all of a sudden I come to this place where it says, Ornan, no, no, notice verse 20, now Ornan was threshing wheat. He turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. And it really just, that was a nugget for me. Why? You might say it was tucked away in chapter 21 of First Chronicles. Would that be something that means something? Because I have four sons. That's why. When I saw I had four sons. Now he doesn't mention that in 2 Samuel. So the Samuel writer doesn't mention it, but the chronicler mentions that he had four sons. He didn't have to mention that, but he mentioned it. I love those little details where it doesn't have to be said here in the Scripture, but it is said. And so him and his four sons are working. And you have to understand, Ornan, Aruna, is a Jebusite. He's not an Israelite. He's not one of the elect of God. He's actually a pagan. At least his heritage is. He may have been an Israelite by faith. But his heritage is he's a Jebusite living in the land. And you have to remember, there is no Jerusalem as we know it at this point. This is about 1000 AD and David is about to set up Jerusalem as the capital. At this point, Gibeon is the capital. That's where the tabernacle of the Lord is. That's where you have to go meet uh, you know, at the tent of meeting is what it's called. It's like we're doing here. The place of worship, the place of sacrifice and, and the altar is at Gibeon, not Jerusalem. But notice what happens here. God sends a plague. And you remember this angel here is a pretty powerful scene in this as well, right? I mean, that's a, he sees that angel standing between heaven and earth with his sword, sword drawn over Jerusalem. I mean, I can just imagine, you know, whatever kind of pose he's got. Maybe he's got like a samurai pose. I don't know, you know, doing this number. Maybe he's just like, ah, you know, whatever it is. He's got it drawn about to strike Jerusalem, that area. And God says, hold on, stay your hand. Don't you, doesn't that sound familiar? Yeah, Abraham? He's about to sacrifice his own son. And God says, stay your hand. Wait, wait, I've got another sacrifice. And what is recounted here is another sacrifice. Instead of Jerusalem being sacrificed here to appease this plague that the Lord has, has pounced on them by this angel, instead, Ornan offers up a sacrifice. And so does David at the same time because he wants to buy what he is offering because he says, look, I can't offer to the Lord what has cost me Nothing. 
Now, the application should be clear, shouldn't it? Worship costs us. Think about this. He who has a religion that costs nothing has a religion that is worth nothing. It's just you playing some kind of game. David says, look, you're giving your all, Ornan. You're giving up your vineyard, your garden. And again, it's, it's tough to enter into, you know, you say, big deal, he gave up his vineyard, you know. No, no, that, that was his livelihood. That's what he had. That's his business. He's given up his business and his land. I, you know, if giving up land is one big thing here, I mean, most people that I know, you know, that, that still live in suburbia and stuff like that, like myself, they long for one day not to have to worry about neighbors being so crunched up, Right? Having to look out my window and see the back of somebody else's house, I would rather see trees. Something that God only can create. You know, as smart as we are, we still haven't been able to create a tree. Isn't that fascinating? Still can't create a tree. Huh. And yet they're everywhere. God likes them. He created them. So does J.R.R. Tolkien. He likes trees too. So does C.S. Lewis. So does the writer of Harry Potter. They all feature trees in all of their writings because trees are important. Gardens are important. Vineyards are important. And they were to Israel. Vineyards was a huge business in this day and time. And, uh, and so if you notice, it actually says that it, he says, I give it all. Notice verse 23. Or says, I give it all. Doesn't the Lord require all? Not half. All. Remember, this is a marriage. Have you ever heard vows that just said, you know, I'm going to... I'm just going to give half here. Just half. Let's detail it out. Let's make sure we have it all right because I'm only willing to give half my life to you, half my love to you. No, no. A marriage is going to take all. Not just legally speaking, but according to God, you become one. And if we are married with Him, we must give our all if we are to be one with him. And this is Jesus' prayer, isn't it? John 17, I pray that you are one as we are one. It's a beautiful way. In other words, God is one and yet three. And he invites us to be one with him. Not a merging, it's not a merger where we become God. No. You are a person. And there are three persons of the Holy Trinity. And the three persons invite this person, this person, into that communion, that union, that unity, that marriage. And the thing required, though, is that we're going to have to give up ourself. Jesus does a very simple thing, kind of like with the sand illustration I used with the kids this morning. He does a very simple thing. A grain of wheat, and he says, Look, this grain of wheat will remain a seed unless it drops into the soil and germinates. You know what happens in germination, right? I'm not, not a you know botanist or horticultural fellow. I try. I don't even have a green thumb, but if you drop it in the ground, the seed actually stops becoming a seed. It dies. 
In other words, the seed's going to lose its seedness in germination. The soil is going to begin to eat at it until it actually sprouts. And it doesn't even look like a seed anymore, does it? You ever seen one of those beautiful big trees? I mean, you know, I wish I could just transplant that into my yard. Uh, that's impossible. I, I would assume the root ball at that point is way spread out, but nonetheless, I love those big trees. They used to be a seed. On the way in this morning, I looked at a magnolia tree, not mine, but another that was, uh, that was near my subdivision, and there were two magnolias growing there, and there were about four little ones that were sprouting up underneath it. It's all about a seed. It all comes from a seed. That's God's design. You ever thought about that? That's, that's God's design. He did that. He likes that. He's the real artist here. There's a saying, you know, stop and smell the roses. I really believe we should do that in a real way. Or the begonias. You ever seen a begonia? I bought one. Never even heard of them. <laughs> Just learned to say it today, you know. Had to look it up this morning to make sure that was the one I had, actually. And uh, a begonia, though, you got this green leaf, and around it is is just hinted pink, just a little hint of pink, and then the and then it blooms this beautiful, actually almost reflective, it, it sparkles pink uh, bloom. I just looked at that yesterday and thought, God, if you will, took the time to actually make that. If you read Genesis, that's the that's the kind of language that's used. It wasn't produced on some factory line. It wasn't a cheap creation. He actually spoke it into existence out of his head, out of his own mind. He made the begonia, just one plant of millions of plants around the world. And we just bypass these things and never stop to see the Creator behind all of this. The the world's not just functioning mechanically. The sun rose today because He wanted it to. One day it won't rise. It'll all be over. He's the true Son, isn't He? That's what we're told in Revelation. There will be no need of an S-U-N because the S-O-N. And that light will never stop shining. And the beauty that He brings, the detail that He brings, all that took preparation. It took planning. Even on God's part. All good things take preparation and planning. So what I'm getting to is this. This... What we have here, in, uh, what we meet in First Chronicles and in, at the latter part of Second Samuel is them preparing to actually get rid of the plague. So there's a plague upon them. People are dying. What are we going to do? Does that sound familiar? Because I think that's exactly what the Bible is saying is there's a plague upon us, isn't it? People are dying. What are we going to do about that? We just, business as usual... Go about our business as usual this week? Or should we start planning for something more? Planning to get out. You know, at, uh, at Harvest Point, we have <clears throat> three words that define our mission. Prepare, plant, produce. The first part is preparation. You see, when the Garden of Eden was created, it was a perfect place. It's a place of fruit. It was a place of plenty. But we turned it into a jungle, a wild and dangerous place this world is today. Because of our sin. Not because of God. That's not how He created it. He created it perfect. A place of plenty. And now we've made it a place where food can be scarce. It's dangerous. It's wild. It's a jungle out there. But our job as Christians is to turn that around. It's to prepare the ground. 
prepare souls, not just soils for planting, but souls. And that, that is our mission. Every single week, we are preparing people for heaven. That's what we're doing here. We're stopping our day to meet together to say, what do we need to do this week? What do we need to do today? What do I need to do in order to prepare souls, my soul, my sons, my four sons, and my, now my daughter? What do I need to do to prepare them for heaven? Because that is my greatest work. Not your work, wherever that might be, but instead, those whom God has given to you right now, right underneath your nose, that's the ones we invest in. That's the ones we are called to prepare. If I only prepare those at church, in my work, but not my sons, not my daughter, not my wife, not my family, then Paul says I'm disqualified to lead the church, the family of God. That's one of his requirements. So what are we planting? What are we preparing to plant? What are we doing with our time that He has gifted us with, with our resources that He has gifted us with? Here's what Ornan does. He gives it all to God. Amen. He gives it all. A Jebusite, might I remind you, gives it all to God as an example to us, a pagan, right? From at least a pagan land gives it all to God as a sacrifice because He knows that God is preparing for something much bigger. It reminds me of Abraham when he goes and meets Melchizedek and he gives him tithes. This king of Salem. By the way, we actually think the same location that that happened with Abraham and all and even... um, Even even Cain and Abel, we think happened about around the Jerusalem area, and uh, and so it's kind of interesting to think about that. It not only reminds me of that; it also reminds me. Do you remember Elijah and Elisha, two non-writing prophets that are in the Book of Kings? There's a really interesting caveat there of Elisha's calling. Elijah, who was a well-known prophet in Israel, is coming by Elisha, and Elisha is plowing up ground. He's preparing the ground. Just like what we're talking about. Just like you have to do before you plant a garden. You don't just go out into, you know, you don't have a garden just out in your grass. You just throw the seeds out there, you know. Now we do these little boxes and people do all this kind of stuff. It's really neat. And I like to I like for you to bring me food like that. So if you ever want to do that, that's fantastic. Some of you have done that before. My papa used to do it for me, but uh, he is he is gone now, so my dad does it now. He has a garden. I still don't have a garden. It's on my list. It's on my radar. Again, not an impulse buyer. It takes years for some things to come about. Nonetheless, here's what ends up happening. Elijah walks by. He sees Elisha. And he's plowing with oxen. A field. And he throws his mantle on him. Now, mantle is symbolic here. Of his ministry. And he throws it on to Elisha. Elisha immediately kills the oxen. He takes the plow that's made of wood piles it up and makes a burnt offering for the Lord. He makes an altar right there in the field and and he sacrifices his livelihood again, his work. I mean, that'd be like you throwing in your papers, uh, you know, at work or throwing in your badge. You know, you're you're done. You're taking off your badge. That's big time, I I guess, for the engineering world, you know. 
Take your top security clearance and all that kind of stuff. Throw it away. Burn it. You're done. You've got a new mission now. That was Elisha. He burned his whole other past and whatever it was he was doing there to go with Elijah. And now Ornan does a very similar thing here by offering up his vineyard, offering up his land to God in order to bring peace from this plague. And he said, what's the big deal about, you know, big deal. He gives his thing, whatever. Well, (laughs) notice, look real quick at 28. That's where we stopped at 27, where the angel puts his sheath, I mean, sword, he uh, sheaths his uh, sword. At that time, verse 28, David saw that the Lord had answered him at the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. He sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the altar of burnt offering were at that time in the high place at Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Notice 22 and 1. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. Do you see what happened? Because he gave it all to God, this became the very site of the temple at Jerusalem. The very place where countless people, even to this day, have come to worship the one and true and only living God. This is the place that Jesus would come to. And that He would, just outside the gates of Jerusalem, be crucified and resurrected. The center point, right here, because this one man with four sons, who was scared of the angel of the Lord, who was offering up everything to God to save us from the plague, to save them from the plague, so also one man would come to Jerusalem offering himself as the sacrifice to save us from the plague that we're all under, which is sin. You see, we never know what God will do when we offer to Him our all. But you'll never find out unless you offer your all. Now you know that we don't do things around here like a used car salesman just trying to sell you something real quick and get you off the lot. We're not just trying to trick you into coming up here and offering something cheap because it's not cheap. What we're, what we're saying is the same thing that the Scripture is calling us to, and that is to come and die. Die to yourself so that you might live. If you want resurrection life, you must die to yourself, to your way. Nothing can be raised that is not dead. And whatever is not raised doesn't go to heaven. So whatever we keep for ourselves, whatever we're trying to hold on to, whatever that might, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't try to conjecture that on, on to whoever. Whatever it might be, today is the day of salvation. Which means, salvation is only received when we give up ourselves. They say, well, you know, things have not been going very well for me. They weren't going very well here. They weren't going very well for the people... Uh, for the disciples. They weren't going well for many people in the Bible. Just read through the Bible. Things don't go well for a lot of people. 
But, even within those circumstances, they offer up a sacrifice of praise. Praise even within the storm. Now, we just sang a song called, It Is Well. Do you know the story behind that song? It's a very powerful story. It's a beautiful song, wasn't it? Uh, Well, a fellow that lived in Chicago (coughs) during the Chicago fire lost all of his investments in his property. In other words, everything burnt. You remember the Chicago fire? Uh, It burned, burned everything to the ground that he owned, and he was financially bankrupt. It also, he also uh, lost a son in that fire. So he had a son and four daughters. He lost a son in that fire. <coughs> he wanted to start over, so he was going to move his family, his four daughters, and his wife uh, to England. And so he put them on a boat as he prepared to get the rest of their belongings and finish up business <coughs> in Chicago. He put them on a boat and sent them over, uh, over the sea there to England. On the way over, the boat hit another vessel and sunk. And his four daughters were lost. His wife uh, was saved only. Actually, she sent him a, um, a telegram that said, Saved Alone. And as he traveled over there to meet his grieving wife, they showed him the spot where his four daughters died. And at that point is where he wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul which we are still singing even this morning. Because he didn't have a pity party at that point and turn inward to himself for resources, but instead turn to God. And he wrote a song for others that still brings hope to, if nobody else, to my life. To be able to say that within any circumstance, it is well because He is good to us. And even in bad circumstances, as that was, as this was, as most of life is, we can still offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And He'll turn that into an investment. Because when you prepare, when you plant, then the produce comes. I mean, we all like to go to the produce section. That's where the vegetables are. That's where all the fruits are, right? Not just the manufactured stuff that comes off the line, but the stuff that comes right from God's hand, right? That's where the good stuff is, the produce. But you don't get the produce without preparation, without planting. And that's what we're about here at Harvest Point. We can't do the produce. That's, his, that's why the last part is left to Him. Prepare, plant, produce. The producing is not... Done by you. If you have a garden, you know exactly what I mean by that. I, you know, I just, I've planted things before, and I planted some stuff the other day, and I can't make it grow. I don't get out there, yeah, let's go, come on, big guy. You know, I, all I can do is water, fertilize, and prepare the soil. God makes it grow. It's out of my control. Because it's not about me. It's about Him. And at just the right time, He will give the increase in your life. But you've got to be preparing the soil. You know, the Bible actually, I'll conclude with this, the Bible actually gives us four different types of soil, doesn't it? That Jesus Jesus talks about. Some fell on the path, on the roadway. They don't make it. Others, they fall on rocky places. They don't make it. 
others on thorns, and they get taken over. And just as those were stolen away by either birds or the soil or the rockiness, so too the Word of God is stolen from us many times because we're not prepared for it. But for those prepared, those who have prepared their soul, not just their soil, their soul, it'll find good souls and produce much fruit. You ever just said it for somebody, they, they have a good soul. That's just a good That's what God is looking for. A place where, His, where the seeds of the Gospel can be dropped in a life and produce much fruit. Fruit that lasts. Not just fruit that springs up and is gone, but fruit that lasts. Last, the kind that lasts that drops from the tree and springs up other trees. That's what we're about. It's not about building your own kingdom, but His kingdom. Amen. Not just my vineyard, but I'm willing to sacrifice my vineyard, break everything down, make a burnt offering right on the spot. Jesus says, guys, leave your fishing job and I will make you fishers of men. What if He's telling us this morning, leave your post whatever that might be, stay-at-home mom, engineer, secretarial work. You say, how do you leave, how do you leave your post? What do you mean leave your post? What he's going to do is leave your job to accept his mission. And his mission will come right along with being an engineer. They were fishers of men. Not garbage men of men, but fishers of men. What does it mean for you to be an engineer of men? A barber of men. A stay-at-home mom of mankind. You just put something there. What does it mean for you to be on mission with God this week? Investing your resources into His kingdom, into His vineyard, into fruit that lasts. It says, all well and good. Sounds great. You know, we should do all that kind of stuff. Well, what do I do? What do I do in order to get started? Build an altar? Sacrifice everything. Lay it all down. Today. Whatever you're holding on to, whatever is yours, give it up. Because only those things that you lay down are sacrificed and can be raised up anew. And so, just like all those who have gone before us, Elisha, even Orn in here, others, finally Jesus, He doesn't hold back. Jesus is in a garden, isn't He? And He says, not my will, but yours. That's the prayer this morning that I'm going to ask you to pray. As I invite you to come and build an altar right here. They did it in a field. you got a nice church building to do it in. What is He asking for? Give it to Him. Because what's going to be the return on that is out of this world. Amen.